Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kurengai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how are you? How's it going? I'm good. I'm I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit cold, but I feel like I'm doing well. Um, but enough about me. How about you? I feel like your week has been been quite exciting. How are you? I right the second in general, I'm good. Right the second, I am so tired. You guys can probably hear it in my voice, which I apologize for if it's sounding a little, a little crackly, a little rusty. I'm just like exhausted because yesterday was my graduation. Yay! Yay! Which was you know really exciting. And really fun, but I am just like so absurdly sleep deprived right now because I had, like, I was up very early. I had the morning graduation ceremony yesterday, and it's Ramadan as well, which means we're getting up early to eat. And so I was on like four hours sleep yesterday, and then I got probably like five hours, maybe six last night. Um, and it's just not great. I'm so tired, <laughs> but I'm good. And graduating was good, and Eid is around the corner, and I'm just like, at a good point this week, I feel. It's so exciting. Like, yesterday with graduating, it was so exciting to take photos with everyone and just get all dressed up and look really pretty and just celebrate and just, like, have a nice day where you're out with people looking great, having fun. I feel like I've spent a lot of time at home lately and haven't really seen anyone. So it was just, it was nice. Yeah, and it was a lovely day. And I was so proud to see you up on the stage accepting Aww. your award, all the lovely <laughs> photos. It was a very Aww. nice day. A very wholesome day. Yeah. I had dinner with my family after my ceremony and then I had dessert with my friends as well. And it was just so nice to see everybody. For sure. Have you done anything exciting this week, Mitch? What have you been up to aside from, you know, being at my graduation? Yeah, exactly. That was definitely the highlight. But I'm sort of proud with myself because I finally made another Instagram post on my account. Six months, maybe? Saying, no, it hasn't been that long. <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know, you're, you're pretty good with it. But I have these grand ambitions of I'll post twice a week, once a week, even once a month. But still, it just escapes me. But I finally did it. And I feel like my post is very interesting. This is a little plug. I feel like you all should check it out. I talk about technology and capitalism and this amazing, strange 90s magazine with this is all about cyber culture and cyber sex and fancy mm. new drugs mm. Naughty. yeah spicy so that that's my little celebration for this week that you did this i did something thing. i did something productive other I'm than happy this for podcast you. Well, i'm happy you. for you and look i totally get it with the instagram i am actually not on top of the instagram at all i post like once a fortnight like if i'm posting once a week that's good Mm. I'm not typically posting once a week. It's kind of hard to just like spend the time to collate a post when you're also doing all these other things that actually pay you to do stuff. But I do love my Instagram. I do post when I can. But anyway. Anyways, other exciting thing coming up this week is Eid. Yay! It's, it, this is the last episode, the last Here's a Thing Though episode of Ramadan. Of Ramadan. Not yeah. ever. Don't Sorry. panic. <laughs> there was too much of a gap after you said that. I was like, the readers are going to, the listeners are going to freak out. I'm really excited next week to be able to like 
be sipping a cup of tea mm. or to be caffeinated in some capacity. Or just be hydrated. Yeah. It is hard recording like when you're tired already just because you're not really sleeping very well. And then you also like can't have a coffee, can't have a tea, can't drink some water. It's difficult. So I'm really keen to like, yeah, be hydrated and fed and caffeinated while recording next week. And I would like to mention for you guys, um, now that Ramadan is over uh, and the will be over, our episode schedule may change slightly because I'm also starting my new job next week. I don't think I've properly announced on here where I'm working or anything. So here we go. I'll do a little job announcement. Doing it now? I'm doing it now. The embargo has lifted. <laughs> next week, I'm going to start a full-time staff writing position with Pedestrian TV, which is really exciting. Um, my first full-time job. And also like writing at, you know, like the biggest youth publisher in Australia is kind of a big deal. I know that I've called Pedestrian TV out on this podcast before for being very white, but that's kind of part of the reason that I'm going to work there now. Uh, going to bring some good old diversity to Australian media. Uh, it'll be good. I'm excited. So I'm starting that next week. Uh, it's full time. At least for the first couple of weeks, I'm doing Monday, Friday, nine to five, which means our podcast scheduling is going to have to adjust a little bit. We are still going to be recording weekly. So don't panic. Here's the thing. Their podcast is not going anywhere. Um, but I just can't record like on Tuesday next week because I will be doing training. So we may record, we may release just a little bit later. Maybe maybe we'll release on Thursday. Mm, yeah, just bear with us for the next couple couple of weeks as we figure. Yeah, this this new stage of here's the thing though, out. But we will still be re- recording weekly. Yeah, you'll get cetera, an episode every week. It'll just be a surprise what day it comes out. <laughs> little lucky draw. Yeah, so so I guess st- you can keep up to date at Sleeher Official. Yes, on I will, and we'll let you know what next week will entail. Yes, I'll keep you guys all updated on Instagram in terms of when episodes are coming out just for the next couple of weeks until we settle into our routine. And then I'm hoping to bring it back to Wednesdays because I do like releasing on Wednesdays. Mm. But just for the next couple of weeks, it'll be all over the place. Uh, But yeah, let's let's get into today's topic. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about a Netflix TV series, also a few other things, but mostly a Netflix TV series called Shadow and Bone, which has been all over the internet and on Netflix's top 10 trending, whatever it's supposed to be. I'm skeptical of that. I'm skeptical of that too, because it just seems like a (laughs) self-plug for Netflix, but whatever. The point is, it's been all over the place. It's been really big. There's been mostly really positive reviews of Shadow and Bone, and I binged it all in a couple of days, like a week ago. And there's quite a few things about it that I actually think are worth talking about and dissecting a little bit, not just specific to the show, but like things that I think emulate some wider issues in the media society. Uh, So let's get into it. For those of you who don't know, Shadow and Bone is a fantasy series on Netflix. I will give you a little bit of a synopsis. I'm probably going to have to spoil stuff in this episode, though. So I'm going to right now issue a disclaimer that I'm going to spoil things about a particular character or two. And I'm very sorry. And if you really don't want to know anything about Shadow and Bone until you watch it, maybe skip this episode. (laughs) Um, But yes, Shadow and Bone is based on the YA debut novel of Leigh Bardugo of the same name. She's also got another duology called Six of Crows, which is also based off. So they've like actually amalgamated uh, two of her series into like one Netflix TV series. And I think it actually works pretty well. Uh, I haven't read the books, though. I feel like I should also let you guys know that I have not read the books. But this has been an ongoing conversation in my Instagram story with a lot of you listeners who have read the books. And I'm trusting your opinions. (laughs) Um, But yes, let's summarize Shadow and Bone. 
Yes, because I, I have not seen it. So if, if you haven't seen it, don't fear. Don't fret because I will force her to explain the plot to me. Mitch is going to be the audience. I, I will be in. the surrogate here. Yes. For those who haven't seen it. Okay. So Shadow Bone is a epic fantasy of the likes of, you know, things like Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, lots of world building. It's got its own languages and currency and ethnicities and all that, uh, which is probably why Netflix picked it up. It essentially follows the story of Alina Starkov, who was an orphan, is now a map maker, and ends up finding out that she's actually got these really intense powers where she can summon light like the sun, uh, and she's the only person ever, pretty much, to have those powers. It's a really big deal because there's this prophecy about the Sun Summoner, who is a person that can wield this light power, and they're going to save everybody from the fold, which is this like really creepy, shadowy thing which, with scary demons in it that eats people. Okay, <laughs> so basically, it follows her her discovery of having her powers, the struggle that she has to do with that, and then there's also kind of another side plot of other characters, which. Slightly less relevant to our conversation right now, so I'm not going to bother summing it up because you don't need to know. And then there's less spoilers. <laughs> cool. But yes, okay. One of the key points, or I guess the two key points that I want to talk about today, are uh, one, one of Alina's initial love interests, General Kirigan. He is also a Grisha, aka a person that can kind of use elemental forces. He's magical witch people. And he can summon shadows and he's a general for the king and he's very mysterious, uh, powerful guy. Uh, Alina ends up under his wing when she gets found out to have powers because he's like kind of the boss of all the Grishas. And he has a very interesting and to me uncomfortable role in Shadow and Bone, which I'll get into in a second. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about as well today is how race is discussed in this show. This has actually been a really big part of Shadow and Bone, similar to how Bridgerton has had a really huge kind of thing with race as well because Alina, the main character in the books, is Caucasian or white. The country that they're in is based on Russia, and she was like essentially based off being a Russian person. But in the series, they've made her biracial. She's half Asian. The actress is half Chinese. And in the show, she's half Shu, which is the fictional version of China in the show. And that's actually quite important, and it comes up quite a lot, despite not being central to the plot. Like, her being Asian doesn't change the plot very much, but it changes the way her character is perceived in the show, which I find quite interesting. And I will get to that. But let's talk about the first thing, because this is what I've been talking about on my Instagram stories for a while, so a lot of you will be familiar with my thoughts on this already. But General Kerrigan, Alina's love interest, is played by Ben Barnes, and he is older than her. And he looks older than her, because I know we all love Ben Barnes, and he's really hot, but he's aged. Mans is looking like 40, okay? And Elena, who is meant to be 17 in the books, is portrayed by a 25-year-old in the show, and she looks 25. Like, I would I would place her 20 to 25. It's already uncomfortable, honestly, for me at least, watching them kind of be flirty and romantic on the show, because he literally is, like, 40. But also because in the fictional universe, and this is a spoiler... General Kerrigan turns out to be the Darkling, who is like 400 years old in the books. And I think in the show, they mention him to be like maybe 100 or 200. Like they don't give us very specific age, but it's implied that he's anywhere between like 150 and 400 years old. Okay. He's old. He's old, like, <laughs> like centuries old. And Alina is young, bright eyed, bushy tailed, like 20 something, maybe teenage if we want to give it that I don't know. We don't really know how old she is, but I'm going to assume it's around there. The way their courting works is that he kind of grooms her 
And I say that with the question mark at the end because to me it's very obviously grooming, but I can see how teenage girls wouldn't see it as grooming. And I guess that's the huge thing that I want to talk about right now. So just to sum up their relationship really quickly, uh, she gets on his wing. He's kind of mentoring her. Uh, He's kind of also protecting her from like the royal politics and is essentially like her guardian in this space, the person she reports to. Uh, but he frequently tells her how special she is, how there's no one else like her, which I, which is true canonically because of her powers. But it's, there's a lot of subtext as well with the way that he says those things to her and like never actually makes a move on her, but almost always does. And that prompts her to be the one to initiate a relationship between the two and kiss him, right? And it's one of those things where he technically didn't do anything to make that happen, but he also absolutely did because he constantly implied to her how special she was, not just to the world, but to him. And then she takes that as a romantic gesture and she reciprocates it. They end up being a thing for a little bit. Then she becomes disillusioned with him. You know, we find out his backstory and that he's old because she doesn't know that initially and, you know, things fall apart, whatever. But the interesting part to me is just how the initial elements of their relationship are framed because he is that typical kind of brooding, powerful, dark, kind of angry, but has a tragic past and is sympathetic character that like might sound very specific, but is actually in literally every fantasy novel you've ever read in your life. (laughs) This is like her love triangle in this with like the loyal best friend and the dark, brooding, mysterious guy is very typical. My issue here is A, the fact that he's immortal and B, the fact that he's actually kind of a creep because this is grooming and I'll explain why it's grooming, but I want to get into, first of all, why he is problematic, like what actually is creepy about him. Like we end up finding out again, spoiler alert, that he is like genocidal (laughs) and like killed a bunch of people and like is willing to use his powers for political like terrorism. That's a bit of a red flag. <laughs> yes. He's like he's the bad guy. He's the villain of the show. And people don't seem to be too worried about that. At least with a lot of teenage girls because I've been following a lot of like social commentary on Shadow and Bone especially on Instagram. And like everybody loves General Kerrigan, the Darkling. Everybody's obsessing over him. He's super hot. So many thirst posts about him, which I get if we're just talking about like, because Ben Barnes plays him and Ben Barnes is hot. And I know a lot of us are just like, yes, hot guy on screen and it's not that deep. But I think for teenage girls, like it is that deep because I don't have often, I guess, the maturity or the self-awareness or just like the worldliness even to be able to see those red flags and be like, I just think he's hot because he's Ben Barnes. I'm not actually interested in his character or like his arc because I know he's a bad guy. There kind of isn't really that understanding of the conversations I'm seeing about teenage girls that really romanticize this guy because like, yeah, he like killed people, but he's, he's passionate. He's protective. It's so sexy. He's possessive. It, you know, like to them, it's like, yeah, he hurts people, but he does it for me. Isn't that romantic? Isn't that special that a guy would go through these lengths and do all these sacrifices for me and all these other people are collateral damage? If anything, that makes him more attractive because when you're a teenage girl and you're insecure and you just really want to be loved, a guy that does really morally heinous things in order to get to you is like the most hot and romantic thing ever. It's special. I feel like when you're like young, especially a teenager, kind of the only thing, at least for me, like you wanted to feel special. You wanted to be different. How many of us were in that I'm not like other girls phase in high school? Not because we were actually misogynist, but because we just like were sick of being treated 
like we're not special and like teenage girls go through a lot as well they're like the most made fun of group i think in terms of like those teenage years nothing teenage girls like is ever cool we constantly make them seem like crazy irrational emotional stupid you know anti-intellectual vain all these stereotypes that we have about teenage girls it's rough being a teenage girl And so it makes sense that you would latch onto ideas of a character that would be so loyal to you and so attached to you. And not just that, but I think a key point here is protective and possessive of you and like violent towards people that would get in his way. I think that's really attractive to teenage girls because everybody kind of makes you feel like shit. And there's nothing else you want more than somebody who will like protect you, especially when you're also like the victim of a lot of creepy like shit because rape culture exists and catcalling exists and sexual assault exists. It's rough. It's rough. You're looking for a guy to be protective of you. As I can see how so many teenage girls are latching onto General Kerrigan, but I really don't like it for a number of reasons. The first one being the fact that he is like immortal and Alina is potentially 17 at most, at absolute most 25. This dude is like 400 and we watch him groom her. Like it is to me, obviously grooming his character in the books. The author bases him off an abusive relationship that she had. Like it's not even an author, like accidentally writing a character in, you know, for example, like with Snape, who he's like actually just kind of fucked up and evil, but like she didn't really mean it to be that way. No, she like wrote a character that we're not actually meant to love that much. It's meant to be one of those things where you are sympathetic to him and then you're betrayed by him because he's abusive. He's a bad guy. He's manipulative. Like, It's self-aware and we're, I think, mostly self-aware, like, especially because like me, I mean, I'm 22 now and I feel like I can spot those red flags. But teenage girls, it's just going over their heads. It's just going totally over their heads and they're watching it and they're not understanding that it's grooming. Like people are like, oh, are you team Mal, you know, the other love interest or are you team like Kerrigan? And I'm like, honey, there's no teams. No one should be team Kerrigan. We don't want this. Because he, like, groomed her and he's, like, pretty much a pedophile. And, like, we are supposed to know that. Like, as the audience, we're supposed to know he's grooming her. Some of the obvious red flags are, like I mentioned earlier, that you're so special. Nobody understands you like I do. It's the immediate isolating of her from everybody else. He isolates her from her friends. He cuts off her letters from Mal. He puts her in a box where he becomes the only person that really knows her really understands her like that is a key red flag uh it is textbook like abusive relationship and then on top of that so he he makes her reliant on him he manipulates her relationships with other people so she starts to distrust them he like drops little things about how like you're not safe but you're safe with me which again would probably make her kind of afraid and paranoid to be without him and then on top of that he's withholding information from her he like Making a person reliant on you for security is abuse and it is grooming. And it is how older men groom teenage girls. That is what happens in real life. It's like textbook. It's literally textbook. And that's what makes it so sinister because it, it starts from a point of, you know, these people who feel insecure, feel isolated, and then just exacerbating that for your own self-gain. It's like, no, like you are isolated, but it's because no one understands how special you are. But I do. But I do. And if, and by doing that, you're sort of further- exacerbating that isolation, that alienation from everyone else, which makes them more susceptible. To abuse. Yeah. 
Exactly. So there are there are things like that. Also, something that I think was very subtle, which I'm actually really quite impressed with, like how Netflix handled it, was like I mentioned earlier that she is the one who kisses him. I think that's a really interesting, subtle way of showing grooming because that's often what happens. Like in a grooming scenario, it's not always the groomer that starts the sexual relationship or that starts the relationship. They put the victim in a position where the victim thinks they should start a relationship. Like that's kind of what happens. He never like confesses his love for her or anything in the beginning. He just consistently is there for her, consistently makes sure she feels like he's the only one there for her, tells her she's special, tells her she's beautiful, tells her how amazing she is, leans a bit too close, touches her wrist, the little things like that. He gives her all the cues, but never actually does it she kisses him which is kind of a big deal because that is often how victims are gaslit out of like making an accusation like a lot of young girls and young women don't realize they were groomed until a long time later because they think oh well i'm the one who initiated it i'm the one who pursued that relationship therefore i can't have been groomed because i'm the one who wanted it it wasn't like i was involuntarily in this relationship i i wanted it i i pursued them Therefore, it's not grooming, which is actually not true because that person like set up the situation in which you pursued them. They like made it happen through a series of like calculated events. And I mean, again, with grooming, a lot of it is about consent. And like when you're young, you don't really have the ability to fully understand this stuff. And I know people are going to say, oh, but Alina was like 25. It kind of doesn't really matter. Like her age, I mean, it, it does matter in the sense that we are talking about young women, but even if she was like 30, it would still kind of be grooming because this is what grooming is. This is the definition of grooming. You, grooming isn't always just with like a 14-year-old. You know, you can groom somebody in ways that aren't sexual as well. Grooming is the idea that you are purposefully doing all these things to get something out of that person, which is what General Kerrigan does with Alina. He, he grooms her, right? And she eventually breaks free of that. And we root for her. We're like, yes, girl, like fight back. She comes to, she realizes she's groomed. Actually, I'm pretty sure that at some point the word groomed is even used in the show. I think somebody mentions that it's grooming, but it's very obvious in the show that she's groomed and realizes it. And then she feels a lot of self-disgust. She feels a lot of embarrassment later on. She like tries to tell Mal about it, her other love interest. And he's all like, you don't have to explain yourself to me, which is also, I think, quite a powerful statement. I think the show actually explores grooming quite well. And I don't necessarily have a problem with the way that it shows this type of grooming because it's very real. My issue though is with the fact that it's just going over people's heads. Like I feel like a lot of people are not really picking up on the subtlety of it, especially young women. And they just see it as like, oh no, he's misunderstood. You know, he did he did really like her. I know he groomed her, but like he did actually love her. And it's like, it doesn't matter if he actually loved her. So despite this being like actually quite an obvious thing that's happening in the show and the fact that it's very obviously grooming and I think Netflix the team was obviously making it look like grooming I mean the reason that people aren't picking up on this and the reason that teenage girls don't see it as grooming is just because of like how much grooming is acceptable in the fantasy genre especially but also just in like media and Hollywood as a whole because if you think about the fantasy series which was you know my favorite series growing up there is so much grooming and so much pedophilia like the fantasy genre is just pedo propaganda the protagonists are almost always teenagers. Even in Game of Thrones, the protagonists are teenagers. Uh, and then there are quite often older, attractive men that, especially in the fantasy genre, are either immortal or they're like vampires that like you know have lived for centuries or they're werewolves that mature at a different capacity to human beings. But there's always this like 
supernatural, broody, mysterious male character that is significantly older, more mature, more worldly than the main young female protagonist and he's a love interest and often he's the one she ends up with as well. Which is icky and not something I really thought about until I watched Shadow and Bone because I feel like maybe as a teenager I was into that but now as an adult watching Shadow and Bone and seeing Jenna Kogan groom Alina and seeing teenage girls like not get that it makes me look back and think about all the normalized grooming and pedophilia that I saw in YA fiction as a kid. Somebody pointed out, one of you listeners, about Edward and Bella in Twilight. I haven't read Twilight, but I think it's pretty non-controversial opinion to find the relationships in that quite problematic uh, and pretty abusive, to be honest. But somebody mentions how like Edward is literally like a vampire and he's like a hundred and something or whatever and Bella is a 17 year old schoolgirl in high school what business does this, this old ass centuries old man have falling in love with a high school girl right and why like have you met a teenager <laughs> not to hate on teenagers but there is a stark difference in the way we view the world and our maturity and just like our like thinking abilities when we're teenagers you know I like I talk to teenagers now as like an adult and I'm only a couple of years I'm literally only 22 but there's a massive gap in the way that we view the world because of like just even the difference in how our prefrontal cortex is developed the impulse control the ability to see the bigger picture like all these things that change with you growing into an adult it is not acceptable or normal for an adult man to be attracted to a teenager it's just not okay they are children. Teenagers are children. They're young. They may be young adults, quote unquote, but like they have the capacity of children. They don't have the planning ability. They don't have the mental capacity to be adults. It's just fact. It's just like a factual thing with brain development. And so it's actually really uncomfortable to read about or watch immortal centuries old men fall in love with and end up with teenage girls, which is, you know, a lot of fantasy fiction. And I think this stuff is actually, you know, it really emulates a lot of just pedophilia propaganda in society. Like, society is just pedoculture. All of it. Hollywood is pe- pedoculture. Media is pedoculture. We are constantly seeing young, beautiful, innocent, overly sexualized young women or teenage girls that end up in relationships with older men. I mean, Mitch mentioned earlier when I was having a conversation with him about Vampire Diaries, which I never watched. But again, like, why does the man... They're all supposed to be in, like, high school and whatnot. Why does a man always look 40 and the girls look young? You know, we're just, like, slowly brainwashing teenage girls into thinking that it's normal to be dating guys of that age or look, and it's just not at all. And then that's how, like, so many young teenage girls... every, Every woman I know either dated an adult man when they were a teenager or knows a girl who dated an adult man when they were a teenager. Every single one. It is so common. And then we look at like celebrity culture and we look at Leonardo DiCaprio and how he's never dated a woman over the age of 25. And we look at, you know, people like Johnny Depp, who's old as, you know, old as fuck now and like dating young women and all these celebrities that do it. And just like all the TV shows where we have actresses that are quite beautiful and young playing women and then older playing like the attractive male interest, this real connection that we constantly are given between like young, beautiful women and older, mysterious, abusive men. It also just like, it doesn't just romanticize grooming, but just like abusive relationships in general, because to like tell young girls overtly or not that a man being possessive 
and protective of you and controlling of you and willing to violently hurt others for you is romantic allows for abuse. Because what we're doing is we're teaching girls that it's okay if he's violent because he's doing it for you. What we don't acknowledge is that often a man who hits other people will also hit you. Often not something we talk about. We don't talk about the fact that this violence is never outsourced in one particular area. It's something that's going to permeate a person's life. We don't talk about those things. So it's romantic. It's cute because he'd never hit you. He only, he'll only hit or, or hurt or brutalize other people for you, which is just not fucking true. Just not realistic at all. And so I'm just having all these thoughts down. I'm just seeing it everywhere. I'm just thinking about it. And everything is just pedophile culture. Everything is like pedophile culture and abuse culture and grooming culture. And I know it's all just the patriarchy, but it's really jarring when you just have a moment and you're like, holy shit. This is my whole life and this is every woman's life. And we just have to live our whole lives trying to unlearn this patriarchal bullshit so we don't end up as just another statistic. That's exactly what it is. So if you do watch Shadow and Bone, definitely be like critical and interested in the way that it portrays grooming. Because I actually think it's doing good things. I think it's self-aware. I don't think it's like trying to romanticize grooming, but I think because Ben Barnes is attractive and because of the fantasy genre as a whole and because of Hollywood as a whole is inevitably going to be perceived as just like grooming and there's going to be no critical thinking amongst like a lot of the consumers of this genre. I'm going to move on now to the second part of Shadow and Bone that I found really... I mean, it's quite controversial. I'm actually not super sure what my opinion is. Maybe I'll develop it as as I start talking. But... Shadow and Bone was kind of controversial with the way that it has talked about racism in the show. Because Elena Starkov, the main character, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, was not canonically biracial in the books, but she was made biracial in the TV show to kind of address how white the books are. It was like, you know, an attempt by Netflix or the creators to make the show more diverse and to appeal to a wider audience and to, you know, maybe be a bit more worldly and realistic. I think they've tried to do too much of a job in making it quote-unquote realistic to the point where they've kind of gone on the complete other end of like racism. There's like racism in the form of erasing race from a show and then there's racism in the form of like inaccurate racial portrayal in a show. Uh, This is not criticism that I came to by myself, so I do want to say that. I'll get into what my criticism is in a second, but I just want to mention and I'll link them in the description but I actually have come to this opinion because of Twitter and because of what people have been saying on Twitter so Alina Starkov is half Asian as is the actress that plays her and in the TV series this is uh, the country Shuhan she's an orphan in uh, Ravkov which is based off Russia her parents died one of her parents is from Shuhan she is like very obviously half Asian like she has Asian features and this is brought up like constantly in the show They make this effort to portray racism as it is in the real world, aka permeating every part of your life. But they go for it, I think, a little bit too hard because we are getting racial slurs like constantly in the show. We are watching Alina get racially abused or bullied like with almost every interaction she has with a person from the show. Initially, when I watched it in the first episode, I was like, wow, like they aren't holding back. They are really showing us hardcore racism. And I think my initial response to it was like, wow, that's actually a good thing because I'm so used to people not believing our experiences of racism and I'm so used to being gaslit and told that my racism isn't happening or that my experiences didn't happen or they weren't real or it wasn't actually racist. People aren't actually racist. You're just sensitive. I'm so used to hearing all those things that initially I was actually in a sick way kind of excited to see racism on screen because it was just like, oh my God, it's so nice to like see 
racism as a negative thing. I'm so used to racism just happening casually in shows and nobody really like addressing it. It's just in the background that seeing it in the forefront and seeing it as something that's emotionally damaging and painful was at first for me a good thing. At first it was like almost representation. I was just like, this is like, this is great. I feel seen. And then like a second later, I was like, actually, this is kind of happening a lot now. Like I get it. I get it. They're racist. He's Asian. They're white. I get it. Now I'm getting a bit emotionally exhausted by like the constant uh, depictions of racism in this show. It's starting to feel like a lot, with uh, especially with Alina in particular because she's the protagonist. We get a few other like comments about other racisms with other ethnic people in the show, but it's really Alina's story that is kind of the most painful to deal with because it's just like this overt racism all the time. So then I was scrolling through Twitter uh, and just like accidentally came across some shadow and bone commentary and i feel like these people have really addressed what i think i was feeling but didn't have the full capacity to understand yet i'm going to read you out a tweet that i think explains everything pretty well so penny moore on twitter at literary penny uh she put up a tweet saying not gonna lie the slur rice eater in the opening of shadow and bone is really bothering me and I was like, okay, yes, same. Because I've like never heard that slur in person. I know it's like a bad slur and I know people say it, but I've never been around somebody that's actually said it. And I was quite like shocked to hear it. In the, It literally comes in about eight minutes into the first episode. We get a white kid say that to Alina. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I really ain't holding back, you know, but it kind of comes up all the time. So she's also at some point called Mutt. Uh, there's also another point, another episode where... Somebody mentions that they should change her eyes because she has slanted eyes. And it's just like kind of shocking how overtly like racist these characters are. And it's just one of those things where like, I don't know who the writers are. I don't really know what the background of the Netflix team is, but I'm just like watching it, knowing that majority white people are watching this show. And I'm just like, I feel like this is not okay. Like, I feel like y'all can't be profiting off violent racism like this. It's kind of, that was just like initial thoughts watching it. And then I came across this other tweet that I think really encapsulated my feelings for it. Uh, This is by James Akinaka on Twitter. They say, immigrant stories are not stories of pain, full stop. This is really the anti-Asian racism in Shadow and Bone. I don't know how many times we have to say this and how many different ways we have to say this before we're heard. And I was like, yes, okay, this is it. Immigrant stories are not stories of pain. Race stories or race in general, or ethnic people are not limited to only stories of trauma and pain. And this is where they've gone wrong with Shadow and Bone. Because I think it's great that they introduced an ethnic character. And I think it's really cool that they wanted an ethnic protagonist. But what they did is give us an ethnic protagonist full of trauma and not actually give her anything else. They never show like any kind of character development, really like accepting her culture. They never show the joys of culture, the beauty of culture, the good things about having a culture. They don't show like the work of self-care that a person has to do to deal with racism. There is, it's not a three-dimensional approach at all. There's nothing. We don't even really, like she looks sad when people are racist to her and that's kind of it. She never even stands up for herself and we never see her work through this as like something that's really shitty that's happening to her. It's just like, it's lazy writing. It's lazy writing where they've just like wanted diversity. They've just thrown in a bunch of slurs 
I expected that to do the job. And it's like, this is kind of not okay because you can't just do that without anything else. You can't just put your audience through this kind of emotional baggage and all this trauma for this character and then not develop her. I think this is a wider issue as well, just in the media kind of sphere where like diversity is becoming a thing and a colorblind casting is becoming a thing. And we really want more uh, ethnic people on screen, but it comes with like, not really understanding and how to do that sensitively, which is reminiscent of our conversation before about Bridgerton and like the failings of colorblind casting because you can't just write somebody to ethnic and they're not actually, you know, filter their experience through the ethnic lens. It's, it's not how you have diversity. And if anything, it can often do more harm than good because it's an inaccurate portrayal of race. And particularly with this one, I'm kind of tired of race always being tied to trauma and pain. Yes, racism is an integral and permanent experience of being an ethnic person. Yes, racism is what differentiates me a lot of the time from white people, but it's not the only thing. And there is beauty to being not white as well. Like, it's not like we're all suffering because we're not white and that white is like peace and aspiration and ethnic is like, oh no, we're in the slums. Like, it's not this this dichotomy, this binary of like white, well-adjusted, not traumatized, and then brown or Asian suffering from racism, excluded from society. It's not like that. And a lot of Hollywood and Netflix and big corporations, like they really want to profit off the diversity kind of bandwagon at the moment. And they really want to pull in that audience, but they're not putting in the work. And that can show with Alina, which is frustrating because I think they have the capacity to do quite well with race. There's another character in the show who is brown. She's played by an Indian woman. And I feel like they kind of have done a little bit of a better job with her because we still see racism around her. But we also see that she has a really strong relationship with her faith, uh, with her like ethnicity, with like her culture. She has this really strong tie to her heritage that kind of, you know, keeps her going. It's kind of her rock in a way. And it's something that she comes back to a lot. And it's a part of who she is. And it's like, you did that in the background and then you did this with Alina. Like, you have the potential to do well. And I think Shadow and Bone, for the most part, is a good show. So it's kind of frustrating because I want more and I know they can do better. And I'm tired of, like, racial trauma just being, like, this voyeuristic thing for white people where it's, like, interesting and it gives character development because now she's traumatized and that makes her a stronger person with no actual, like, nuance or understanding of what it's like to work through that trauma. I want to see success and working through trauma. That's what I want. Ethnicity and race is not just limited to suffering. There is so much more to it and we deserve to have, like, every aspect of our story told, not just the bit that gets money. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. I think this is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our lovely, lovely listeners. Specifically, we'd like to thank Pia, Beck, Rachelle, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So thank you so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official. And give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And also keep checking on my Instagram for the couple, the next couple of weeks in terms of episode release because it's going to be a little bit chaotic and follow my instagram at mitch's.miscellanea for discussions around film books and music where i have made a post
recently. So I am holding true to that. <laughs> also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here's a thing though podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Cool. Thank you. Bye. Bye.